Welcome to the R. Jackson Home Podcast. I'm sitting here with uh, Dr. Ruffin and some consultants from Kimberly Horn this morning, and we are getting ready for a conversation about the Vision 2020 uh, plan that has been recently presented, uh, or uh, uh, an early version of the plan has been presented to the community. And uh, the purpose of this podcast is a little bit different than what we normally do, but the purpose of this podcast is to help the community have one, a, uh, a long-form version of the material if they are unable to make the meetings, which there's a lot of opportunities to make the meetings, so hopefully you made the meetings. Or uh, if you need to review kind of what happened, <laughs> if you are just in a blur during the meeting, it's a good chance for you to listen to it and slow down. And so I am joined by, and I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves, uh, starting with um, our, uh, our Dr. Ruffin. Um, Werner Ruffin. I'm the superintendent of Jackson Madison County Schools. And I'm Eric Bosman with Kimley Horn. I'm Dusty May. He's also with Kimley Horn. So we're going to just dive right in here. We're, we're working on a short time span, so we'll get as much in as we can. Um, and you guys can field questions as you see fit, whoever wants to take those. We, one of the questions, I came, I went to the meeting this morning at uh, Mother Liberty CME Church, and one of the questions I want to start with is, one, two, two phases. How did we get here? One, what brought us to this point in our school system now? And two, what, through the process so far, what has brought us to today to the meetings that are going on this week? Well, definitely we recognize that we needed to have a better school system. And uh, we also recognize that we needed to be able to implement our strategic plan. Uh, specifically, our, uh, our strategic plan speaks to academic excellence, uh, financial stability, and school safety. And, and to be able to achieve that, we looked and examined at how we were operating. And we determined that we had a number of our facilities that were old, uh, a number of our facilities needed uh, immediate to long-term repair. And uh, we also recognized that our facilities were not operating at 100% uh, 100% capacity. So uh, starting to examine that, the school board also began to ask questions about how would we address that issue. And uh, um, cutting it a little bit short uh, to get to the point where I started talking with the board about uh, engaging with the consultancy. Mm -hmm. uh, we put out bids. We were fortunate enough to get, get uh, Kimley Horn to respond and found them to be the kind of firm that we wanted to work mm -hmm. with that could help us by engaging the community mm -hmm. into conversations that would help us to envision a better Jackson Madison County Schools. So we want to not only become more efficient with our facilities, that's, that's one step, mm -hmm. but what we want is to be able to capture the the resources to be able to put it back into our schools so that our schools can become better um, mm -hmm. by better student achievement, better um, resources and materials for our teachers and for our staff, um, better programming so that we can uh, support them, sustain them over time, mm -hmm. and, uh, and better opportunities for our kids. And that, that's what got us to this point. And those are all goals that if you love the city of Jackson, and if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you do, you need to care about everything that Dr. Ruffin just said. And so, Eric, um, starting several months ago, uh, you guys started having meetings in Jackson. We had a presentation of some plans that started this week. Talk to us how we've gotten to here in this point in the process. Sure. So as, as professional planners and facilitators, we were brought in to, to first listen to folks about what's working in the system, what's not working in the system, 
and complete an analysis to see where there are opportunities for improvement. So we began that process actually back in February of this year and began with a series of stakeholder meetings and we have a series of committees and focus groups where we really spent the first two months trying to make sure that we understand the system and some of the challenges that are before us. Um, never at any point was this ever intended to be Kimley Horn's vision or our vision or our plan mm -hmm. for the community. The way we undertake this process is through uh, rounds and rounds of public input and engagement, trying to understand what's best for each individual community within which we work. There's mm -hmm. no magic formula. It's only through hard work and listening to people and really studying the situation that we can understand what some of the best alternatives might be. Mm -hmm. So we began that in February and March. We had five public meetings back in April and early May to invite the public to come in and help set the goals and objectives for what Vision 2020 needed to accomplish. We followed that up with another six public meetings in May where we floated some initial concepts that were based on that community input. If we went to more geographic-based schools and clusters, what does that start to look like and what are the advantages and disadvantages? There was a lot of early focus on the success that we're having with our K-8 school at the Montessori program at mm -hmm. Bemis. And so we looked at some models of what if we expanded K-8 to more parts of the system. And so we, we put those initial concepts out there and had these very fruitful community discussions. And while none of those individual concepts survived that process, it was the discussion of those concepts that became the framework for these mm -hmm. alternatives. So the public input over from February to May had a significant input and were the basis for these alternatives that folks are seeing this week. Um, so this is, in fact, the third round of public meetings where mm -hmm. we've invited the public to give us input. We'll continue to take input this week, and we'll be coming back to the board in early October um, to begin the discussion with the board on what is the direction that we want to pursue and begin a public hearing process to put that into action. Yeah, one of the things I've been super impressed with uh, as a community member, I don't have any children, or and because of that I don't have any children in the school system, uh, but I've been extremely impressed with the openness to the community about this whole thing. And so uh, your team has done a great job of making multiple meetings available at different times and different places for people to come and talk and share uh, what they feel like is the right thing for the community. And it's a uh, like the meeting we're at this morning, there's a lot of different viewpoints. And so these plans represent uh, uh, a collaboration of those and what the expert opinions are coming in from you know, one of the things I've seen a lot in organizations is the burden of knowledge. When you are in something every day, all day, it is hard to have an outsider's perspective, a level perspective. And so it is valuable to have someone that doesn't have that burden of knowledge to come in from the outside. Well, and, if, and just to add to that, I think the other piece that, that makes this exceptionally challenging and why we have to have so much involvement in different parts of the community is, is folks can think about what's happening in their individual school, their elementary school, their middle school, their high school. Our responsibility as a system is to serve over 12,500 students mm -hmm. countywide. And so part of these meetings and part of this process is both trying to understand that big picture of what's best for Jackson and Madison County and at the same time be respectful and honor the concerns of each individual mm -hmm. school community. Mm -hmm. And that's a really careful balancing act, but something we have to do, to your earlier point, that the success of our school system is an underlying foundational cornerstone of the success of our community. Amen. Economic yeah. development, business, uh, attracting and retaining residents, it goes to the bottom line of our success as a community, not just as a school system. Absolutely. Regardless of how many people 
run to private schools, the status of the public schools in the city of Jackson will have uh, far-reaching consequences that um, will affect us for years and years and years. So that's how we've got here. What? Uh, what? Tell me about the meet. Tell us about the meetings that are happening right now and what you're talking about. In Absolutely. Those so, so what folks were asking for input on a couple of different things this week. Um, clearly, we have some fresh alternatives that were based on the community input that we received in April and May. Um, there were, were some very clear objectives of the community, looking at a geographic-based cluster system. So all the alternatives this week are based on that philosophy. Having clear feeder patterns from elementary to middle schools, not having split zones so that children that go to elementary school together don't get split off into two or three different middle schools and then split and resplit again at the high school level. Um, centralizing as many of our magnet programs as possible to reduce transportation distances and to make those more accessible to members of our community um, and looking at a model that includes a few K-8s um, mm -hmm. as an example model uh, where we're being successful in trying to give other folks that same opportunity and provide a filter that is equitable across the system, that each cluster is treated in a fair and equitable manner. Mm -hmm. So those community objectives from May underline all of these alternatives. And then what people will see, so if they go um, to a local media outlet, if they go to our website, jmcss2020.com, all of the plans are up there. But what they will see are two elementary middle school alternatives for input and two high school alternatives for input. And so elementary alternative one maintains our current grade span configurations. It keeps elementary schools as K through five, middle schools as six through eight. Um, it separates the county into four different geographic clusters, a north cluster, a central cluster, a south cluster, and an east cluster. And within each of those clusters, there are two or three elementary schools and then one middle school. So each of the four clusters essentially becomes a self-contained unit um, where it has two or three elementaries and one middle school. And so in the north, to walk through this very quickly, the north cluster includes Pope Elementary, Thelma Barker Elementary, East Elementary, and then all of those full schools would feed Northeast Middle School. Mm -hmm. The central cluster includes Andrew Jackson Elementary, Arlington Elementary, Alexander Elementary, and all of those schools would feed North Parkway Middle. The South Cluster includes Denmark Elementary and South Elementary. Those two schools would feed Bemis as the middle school for the South Cluster. And in the East Cluster, it's Lane Elementary. Rose Hill becomes an elementary school because of its size and its situation, um, its geographic location. It is more appropriate to serve the eastern parts of our county and then JCT becomes the middle school for the East Cluster. So again, each cluster has two or three elementary schools, and then each cluster has a middle school. But it, it honors those community priorities in terms of geographic clusters, reduces transportation distances, um, and then has a direct clear feeder pattern from elementary to middle school. And in the process of doing that, it frees up facilities like Tigret, Lincoln, to host some of our magnet programs. So mm -hmm. in this first alternative, the Montessori program moves from Bemis to Tigret, and potentially the pre-K program moves from Whitehall, which is a facility that needs a lot of capital enhancement, um, to Lincoln, which is a school, um, which I know when folks drive past the exterior, they may have one perception. When you walk into that school, it's a fabulous 
hmm. um, interior to the school that while we need to make some modifications to the restrooms and some accessibility enhancements, it's a great facility um, for some of our special programs. So keeps the geography, sets up the clear theater pattern, but also centralizes our magnet programs. So that's a, a long spiel on the first alternative. Mm -hmm. The second alternative is similar. The, the two main differences are while the first alternative has four geographic clusters, the second alternative has three geographic clusters. Mm -hmm. The East cluster gets split, and essentially Lane JCT come back into the central cluster, and Rose Hill goes to the south cluster along with South Denmark, the West area, and the Bemis community. Um, the, the second key step in alternative two is in each of those three geographic clusters, there is a K-8 school option. So we basically take three of our existing schools and change them to K-8s, which was something that um, portions of our community were very, very interested mm -hmm. in both the academic model as well as the stability that that provides for some of our families and students. So one of the questions I have in all this is, is do K-8s have a different educational outcome than K-5 through five and six, seven, eight? So there, there's a variety of educational literature that is out there. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that is most definitive from our research of the literature is that particularly for students that come from more rural or socioeconomic disadvantaged populations, mm -hmm. the K through eight model has been seen, has shown to have greater academic success for students in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade levels compared mm -hmm. to the traditional middle school setting. There are a number of studies dating, dating back to the early 2000s that have shown that mm -hmm. um, as examples in various school systems that um, students that undergo that transition from K-5 to 6-8, there's an achievement gap mm -hmm. that occurs when you make that transition, and it's a bigger gap for students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. It's not that that gap can't be overcome, mm -hmm. but the gap is, is non-existent in the K through 8. So uh, removing that transition has shown to have better outcomes for our middle school students. That's fascinating. Uh, okay, so those are the two elementary uh, middle school alternatives. And to help frame our conversation, one of the things that they've done to really make this clear uh, as clear as the many changes that they're being suggested can be, there's uh, an elementary A1 and 2 option, and then separately is a high school A and B. And so when people are talking about that, keep in mind that there's an elementary 1 and 2 and a high school A and B, and those plans, the elementary and the high school plans, work independently of each other. Correct. You're, you're basically able to mix and match those at this point. So you could have elementary 1 and high school A or elementary 1 and high school B. B. Um, those plans are interchangeable, so it's uh, separate decision points right now as far as elementary, middle alternatives, and high school alternatives. Well, let's jump into the high school A and B then, uh, which, uh, as we saw this morning, might be a bit more controversial with, uh, with and we'll talk, I'd lo we'd love to talk about JCM because it's a very important fixture of our community, so. Absolutely. The, no doubt the, the high school decision um, and alternatives are much more challenging um, from a, a social cultural standpoint in particular in Jackson Madison County uh, the, the challenge that we're facing is we have five high schools today only one of those high schools has more than a thousand students our other four high schools serve from slightly over 500 to slightly over 800 students mm 
um, but to provide, to have the resources and the critical mass of students in order to provide the full range of academic programs, first and foremost, but also to have the strength of artistic programs and athletic programs. Uh, as we've met with our instructional leaders, we really need to have high schools that are in the 1,000 to 1,300, 1,400 size. Mm -hmm. and, and our schools are that size. They can handle that number of students. We're just not using them to their full effectiveness today. So we're, we're at a point in Jackson-Madison County where we very much need to reduce the number of high schools and have a level of consolidation. But at the same time, there are a very limited number of options. We're, we're not going to adversely impact Madison Academic, which is, is one of the strongest points of our high school program right now in the system. We have Northside High and Southside High that are appropriately situated geographically Mm -hmm. are the right size schools for what we're trying to do. And to remove either of those high schools would create some significant transportation challenges within mm -hmm. the system. So if we're going to reduce the number of high schools, our only two options are really JCM or Liberty. And so we have JCM, which has a storied history and is very important culturally within the community. And we have Liberty that is a fairly new facility that has an outstanding technology program that we don't want to lose instructionally. <laughs> and so what these alternatives look at today is that the, trying to be responsible and do the best thing we can do for our students today and in 2020 and into the future is not to lose the strength of that Liberty facility. And that of course means that we have to use JCM in a different manner. Yeah. Um, so what the two high school options look at, uh, high school option Alternative A leaves us with three zoned high schools. It leaves Madison Academic where it is in the central portion of the county. Northside, Liberty, and Southside remain as zoned high schools, but the attendant zones change to reflect the geographic clusters, mm -hmm. depending on that direction. The second high school alternative um, pushes a little further and is more aggressive and goes to two zoned high schools. So Northside and Southside remain as zoned high schools. Essentially half the county is zoned North, half the county is zoned South. And then the Liberty facility is still used, but Madison Academic as a program, as a school, is picked up and moved to the Liberty facility, a more modern facility with all of the arts and athletics components to it. Mm -hmm. The other 500 seats at Liberty would be used as a true technology magnet school as Liberty was originally designed. Mm -hmm. And so what that alternative would have is essentially two 500 student magnet programs that share a single facility. Hmm. There's every opportunity that they would be completely independent schools, except when it comes to the arts programs and the athletic programs, where we would have a thousand students to realize the full potential of arts and athletics and co-curricular activities. Hmm. So alternative two essentially moves us from four small high schools and one medium-sized high school to three appropriately sized high schools for the instructional model that we want to be able to meet and challenge our students throughout the county. All right, so, and once again, all this is available online uh, for you to look at uh, if you're not able to make one of the meetings. And what's that website again? It's jmcss2020.com. And, uh, and so one of the concerns, you, you already spoke to one of the big concerns in the community is JCM. One of the things that came into my mind during the meeting this morning and was brought up was uh, what about what is this going to do to the racial diversity in our schools? Yep so and, and that's a question that we've received and with all of these alternatives we've run the the racial makeup based on where students are located today right mm -hmm. now 
residential patterns can always change, but mm -hmm. based on where students live today, we've run all of these zones. Um, and with the exception, I think, of one elementary school, uh, all of these current alternatives do better in terms of balancing diversity within our schools and within our system than our current school zones do. And, and I think that seems a little counterintuitive mm -hmm. and will take a little bit of time for people to, to wrap their, their heads around. But the way these zones work with the North Cluster, the Central, the South, the East, each of those clusters actually have a level of diversity to them, and these new school zones reflect that. So mm -hmm. generally across the board, and in particular at the high school level, um, our student diversity is more balanced under any of these alternatives than they are within our current school makeup. And you've got the numbers. To and we've got up. the numbers, and yeah, and we still need to talk about how we're going to release those. I, I mean, my preference is let's get to the, the option moving forward in October, and mm -hmm. that needs to be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but we're actually very pleased, knowing that that was a concern going in, that these alternatives are more balanced than what we have today. Absolutely. So we've kind of got the how we got here, what the what what the what is, what is the result? We're going to be closing a bunch of schools. What is that going to do for our school system? Why should we be excited? Why should we endorse this? Convince me. Absolutely. So this this didn't start, but this Vision 2020 process didn't start with how many schools can we impact and how many schools can we close. Mm -hmm. Where we've gotten to in this point is we need to take resources that are being spent today on heating and air conditioning and furniture and administration and reallocate more of those funds to student instruction and student success. Mm -hmm. And so while we recognize that the reorganization and restructuring is, is a little bit painful and difficult and requires collaboration and compromise, if we are able to follow through and be successful with that effort, we're looking at being able to reallocate two to five million dollars on an annual basis. That's two to five million dollars every year that no longer gets spent on heating and air conditioning and operations and administration, that gets spent on educational programs and resources. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, there's a one-time savings in capital needs. There is a reduction in transportation costs, so the savings could be even greater. But the idea is how do we take those things that right now are going to bricks and mortar and buses and fuel mm -hmm. and move that to textbooks and teachers and technology? And so the other part of the meetings this week is we're talking about a series of instructional enhancements, of ways that we can better support our teachers and our staff, as well as things that we can do programmatically that all go to helping our students um, have a successful educational environment and educational experience. And we're asking for feedbacks on folks in terms of which elements they believe would be the most beneficial and do the most good for our students as a whole. And so folks will see things like an elementary academic academy, um, transition programs, intervention and alternative programs, expanding what we're doing in terms of pre-K and early education to get students off on, our, on the right track, um, being able to make salary adjustments to retain and attract highly qualified teachers. Um, so that's the bottom line of this. Yes, there's been a lot of facilities discussion and occupancy what we're trying to do mm -hmm. is spend our money in a way and our resources in a way that goes to student education and student success. Absolutely. And those are fantastic things to do, and it would be foolish not to pursue those. Um, and so we've so we've so how can people there's a couple meetings left. I'm not sure when this podcast will be released, but you can view those online. 
Um, all the documents will be online. What's next? What are the next steps for these the, these plans as we come closer to hopefully uh, pulling the trigger and, and acting on one of them? Yeah. Well, I, I think, again, where we're at at this point is we're trying to balance what can we do system-wide that does the most good for the most people, and at the same time trying to be very sensitive to the individual needs of, of some of our communities. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that Dusty has really helped us with, Dusty is a, a, a native of Jackson and Madison County, is while we've had a lot of, we've talked a little bit about JCM, we have that same level of respect and care for the other communities that we've been impacting. Mm -hmm. um, and so the history yeah. plays a big role. And like Eric mentioned, I, I grew up in Jackson, actually uh, grew up in the southern portion of the county. I attended Moises Elementary, I attended West Middle School. I graduated from Southside High School. So I think, you know, keeping in mind, um, you know, there's some real needs, you know, in the county and in the school system right now. And with those needs also, it's a big opportunity. So we have a lot of a lot of momentum, a lot of good things that are going on and just being able to capitalize on those moving forward um, while still preserving, you know, the history, you know, of, of those schools is, is a huge factor. And for me personally, it's it's nice to be able to to be involved with that and help shape you know mm -hmm. the future mm -hmm. of, of Jackson Madison County. So, so what what we're asking folks to do if they'll go to the website, they can not only review the plans, but we have the the one page exercise that goes through all of the potential things we can do to benefit our students mm -hmm. by reallocating those resources. Um, we need folks to fill out that survey. And we you need, can do that online. You can do it online at our website. Is there a deadline for that to be accomplished? Um, we, we would love for folks to do it um, this week, certainly by the end of September, uh, because we will be coming back to the board on Tuesday, October 13th to give an update to the board and, again, begin to work with the board on moving towards a single option mm -hmm. for consideration. So all of the feedback that we can get between now and the end of September is feedback that we can take into account um, in that process. And then again, we'll be meeting with the board in October. There will be a public hearing um, likely in November on what the final plan is moving forward. And, and we need people to continue to not only be engaged in the process, but use that lens to look at not only what's best for their individual school community, but for the system as a whole as well. Awesome. Well. There's lots of opportunity to be involved here if you love the city of Jackson. Even if you don't have a child in the school system, this will affect you. Um, you. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point in the future it will. So please take some time and go to the website. What was that website? One more time. www.jmcss2020.com And you can go there and you can see the plans and the suggestions and keep up with uh, what the next meetings are going to be. Um, that is going to bring our podcast to a close. Um, so I would really like to thank uh, Eric and Dr. Ruffin and Dusty for taking time out of their schedules uh, this busy busy week to record with us and, um, and make sure that you go to that website and check up on that. So uh, from our front porch to yours, this is our Jackson home.